0: Father, we thank you for this morning, we thank you for a chance uh, for the body of Christ to gather this morning to sing and to proclaim the gospel. We pray for our kids now as they're in their class and for those who have stayed here that uh, little seeds of the gospel would continue to drip into their hearts. For the rest of the brothers and sisters, God, I pray that you would call us uh, courageously to press into this text this morning. Uh, Give us faithfulness to hear what you would have to say. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were here uh, Easter, I shared a couple stories from my background, and I have an update for you. So we were talking about terrible ways to die. Well, I found a good way to die, okay? So uh, those stories were revolving around my former athletic career, returning a punt, and then crashing into the fence playing baseball. Those were bad ways to die. Both were failures, and both were full of fear, right? Uh, Thursday night... um, Our little 8U baseball team was playing in the championship game, and I'm the pitcher, right? So I'm up there doing this kind of thing, and I'm just popping them like this. And our four-hole hitter, who's a massive kid, uh, slugged one right up the middle and popped me right in the side of the head. There is a video circulating around the interwebs. It's amazing, you should see it. I'm okay if you laugh, I'm currently laughing. I didn't laugh at the time. Um, That's a good way to die. We won the game, so uh, we're champions. If you're gonna go out, Go out on top, okay? So there's the, there's the message of God's people right there. That's, it's, it's all summed up. Fear and failure is over and victory is coming. There's the gospel. That's all you need to know. So uh, there's, your, there's your good update. I am fine. I really did get slugged. Um, uh, it, it popped me good, took me to the ground, um, saw all of the butterflies, all of the stars. The whole universe in one picture is quite magnificent. So uh, <laughs> anyways. With that, though, I do want us, as we kind of just open with a little bit of humor, uh, today's text is weighty. This, is, this will be the shortest text of the entire series in Exodus. Um, probably the shortest sermon, too, just so if you need to move your lunch reservations up, I'm good with you if you need to pop that out and change your open table reservation. <clears throat> Kids Sundays next Sunday. We should have planned a little better for the short sermon to be next Sunday. We didn't do that. Um, anyways, so Exodus chapter 2... We've, we've, seen, we've seen God's people going through some real hardship, and we've seen oppression, we've seen burdens, we've seen burdens on top of burdens, but what we haven't really seen is God visibly yet. God hasn't spoken yet. Uh, we saw God briefly in chapter 1 where he's dealing with the midwives. He's kind of guarding and protecting them as they guarded and protected the children of Israel. But God really hasn't been on the scene, okay? Now, that doesn't mean he's absent. It just means he's been quiet, and he's waiting, and the burdens of God's people keep piling on, and that's on purpose, right? God who is great, God who is creator, God who is sovereign over all things, he is perfect in his timing. Now, that's a really hard message to sell when you've been in slavery for generation after generation, and the burden gets heavier, and yet it is still good, and it is still Right, Because God, in his timing, will always be faithful. And so what we see today is the pivot. This is the hinge in Exodus, right? And the reason we wanted to break this out into its own message, because this is the point in the text where now the gas is all the way down. And God is on the scene, he's visibly on the scene, and he's speaking. And this is such a powerful text. So what I want to do is I just want to kind of lay out the main idea this morning, and then we'll kind of work through the text like we do. But the main idea today is that God is a good and loving father who always listens to his children. Now, I'm a dad, and I know a lot of you are dads. If you have more than one child, you're not good in this area, okay? Because here's the way this plays out. You have one who's asking for something, and then the other one's asking for something, and then the other one's asking for something. And if uh, you're one of the families that has more than three and you have like 10 or 14, um, multiply that, right? And so if everyone's asking for something at the same time, I hear nothing, right? It's just noise. And so it doesn't matter what they're asking for, it could be a very good and right thing. And I do love my kids, but I can't hear them all at the same time. I'm limited, I'm finite, I'm a human. And yet God, in his power and in his majestic being, and we're going to dive into a lot of his character today, particularly in his omniscience, and so that's a word you want to know, in his omniscience, which basically means his all-knowing. God knows all things at all times and all places, okay? Which means he knows exactly what's going on in your life. And so as you pray, he hears you. And he hears only you, while also only hearing everyone else. That's the power of God. So when all of God's children come to his feet and they're asking for something at the same time, he hears you and he hears me. This is what makes God God. This is the power of this story because it's not a singular cry of Israel. It is all of Israel collectively crying out. Now, it is one cry, but it is multiple cries. And so as God listens to the cries of his people, he remembers. I love how God does stuff like that. Can I just talk about that? Like as we're talking about God's people crying, a baby walks in. He's like, hey, I'm here, right? That's awesome. That's part of who we are at the branch, so glad you're here. All right, so verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, okay, so now we're, this is the second Pharaoh that we've seen so far in Exodus, and now he's gone, so now Pharaoh three is coming up, so from here on out, this is Pharaoh three, okay, so the Pharaoh of Joseph is gone, and now this new Pharaoh who really uh, raised the oppression of God's people, now he has died, okay, so what's important to know here is that the oppression didn't stop. Okay, Now, we do know, because later in Exodus, it says that the burdens got lighter. The burdens were not removed. Okay, So if a burden is heavy or if a burden is light, a burden is a burden. Okay, And so no matter where we are, and this is, this is what the powerful part of this text is, some of us are walking through things and we're walking through seasons of life that are really, really challenging. And when you were to tell your story, people would be like, oh my gosh, how are you doing this? And then there would be others of us who are going through similar things or maybe a little bit of a nuanced thing and it still is a significant story in the story of God, in the story of God's kingdom, and your story in particular, but it may not be as bad as somebody else's story. And yet your cries are still as rich and as beautiful as the cry of the person whose story is magnified. Does that make sense? And so as God's people's burdens get lighter, they're still present, okay? Okay a burden becoming lighter doesn't mean that the burden has been abolished. And that's important for us to remember as we work through uh, these next few weeks in Exodus. So here's why it's important that we know that Moses tells us, right? So Exodus is the second book of Moses' five books, okay? So this is really Genesis part two. So we can't fully understand Exodus until we've understood Genesis and know what God's doing, particularly what God has promised his people Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what we're seeing God start to fulfill right here in this passage. So during those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Now what's important too about this particular pharaoh dying is the pharaoh that was seeking to kill Moses because Moses had killed an Egyptian is now gone. So now Moses is free to come back not as a uh, fugitive, but now as a as a prophet, as a missionary. Okay, so um, that is a, f- a little bit of a freedom for Moses, right? So he kills the guy. This was a couple weeks ago, and then he flees to Midian. That was last week. Holy smokes, that was last week. Okay, so he kills the guy, and he flees, right? And now the Pharaoh dies, and that opens the gate for for Moses to come back. Okay, so Moses is coming back, and now he's different right Moses has grown he's gone through some real trials he's gone through now he's married okay he's got a son Gershom and he's going back into his people he's going back into Egypt all right so uh, their cry for rescue this is at the end of verse 23 their cry of rescue came uh, from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. Now, as we go through this particular passage, there's so much that we get to know about who God is. So he's going to do a few things, right? And we did this a couple weeks ago um, when, we, when I threw up the Rembrandt uh, where we talked through the prodigal, okay? But now this is God doing these things, okay? God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God acts, okay? He does something. He's not removed. He's not silent anymore. He knows what's going on with his people, and he's willing to step in, Okay, so why now? That's the question I ask when I come to this passage. Why now? And I think what is important here is the burdens had become so heavy that the only way that Israel could be freed is for God to do something miraculous. Okay, this, this is not a story of Moses anymore. This is not a story of some hero coming up. Now, God's going to use Moses. He's going to use a hero, but God's going to do what God's going to do. This is a story about who he is and what he's doing and what he cares about. Okay, so the burdens are heavy. Now think of think of our own lives. And uh, so there was a time in my life. uh, I had just graduated from college. Uh, I moved to Tuscaloosa, Roll Tide. And uh, Megan was in school, and I was saving for the ring. Okay, if if you're if you're married or you want to be married, like that's a big thing, right? You're saving for the ring, and you want it to be perfect. So the way that it worked out for me is I can only do like half the ring. So I had a ring, but I had no diamond. Okay, so the diamond was coming later because it was really poor. And so uh, I was living on my own. I had a car. I traded the truck that my parents had given me in for a Kia, right? Because they're a little bit more fría, and the gas was better, all right? So I'm driving this Coca-Cola can car that's got four wheels that, you know, I had to turn the lights off to hit the horn at somebody, right? So that, I mean, that's what I'm doing with the, with the sole intention of I'm trying to save money to complete this ring so that I can propose to Megan okay? So I go and I'm doing this thing and I'm being real sneaky. You got her parents involved and her sisters involved and we get it and I get, the, I get the actual ring, missing the diamond, okay? So incomplete purchase. You can't, by the way, take this note, guys, young guys, you can't give them an incomplete ring, okay? You can't like, here's, here's this, the stone's coming in, you know, 10 year anniversary. You better get that, okay? So <clears throat> my ring doesn't have that yet, okay? And I'm saving hard. I'm working hard. I'm at a job that I hate. I quit my job, Another note, don't quit your job until you have the next job lined up, okay? I had to learn that one the hard way. Then I crashed the Kia. If you crash a Kia, those things are done, okay? It would just fold it up. And now I've got nothing, right? I mean, everything, nothing. Like I was down to like my last $87 or something, right? And Megan and I would go on date nights using dining dollars, you know, the the school-sponsored dinners. Like that's how we did it, in checkers, like $5 meals, right? And so the whole point in that is like, everything was falling apart, right? It wasn't going the way that I had intended. Now, it's kind of a silly story. At the time, for a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, it wasn't silly. Like, I was panicking, right? And yet, my faith was starting to actually grow because my dependence on God was starting to be real. My whole life, things had just been kind of given to me, right? I mean, I grew up with parents who stayed together, parents who loved me. They worked hard. Now, we ha- they asked us to work hard, right? So nothing came free, But stuff kept coming, right? And then you go to college, and I was an athlete, and so stuff really does kind of come free then. Side note, right? And then you've got, like, then you're out on your own. And stuff's not easy anymore. And when stuff starts to fall apart, you can do one of two things. You can run away. God doesn't exist. How could a good God do this to me? Or you can dive in. And it's through those seasons of life that God begins to sharpen your faith. This is what's happening the people of Israel. Things had gone as bad as they could get. They're as bad off as they have ever been. And then God steps in. And what does He do? He hears their cry. He sees the affliction. He sees the oppression. And He remembers, right now, His remembrance isn't His forgetfulness. Okay, so let's remember that, that God is is completely sovereign, and he's omniscient. So if he made a promise, he doesn't forget his promise, right? This is going back to that. So he didn't forget, but he's now leveraging that promise. Now is the time for him to enact on that promise. That's what he's doing when it says that God remembered his promise, his covenants, okay? So their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. With Isaac and with Jacob. So, what I want to do now is I want to go look at Genesis chapter 17 because we can't really understand Exodus 2, what God's doing when he says he's remembering his covenant, unless we know what the covenant is. Okay, so let's just do this by way of remembering what God has told his people. This is Exodus 17, verses 1 through 8. Okay, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, God had promised him about 25 years before that that he would have a son. Okay, so now he's 99 years old. Old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Verse 3, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. My covenant is with you. You shall be the father Of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, verse six, listen to how many I will statements there are. Okay, this is God saying he will, not Abraham saying he will. This is God saying I will. Listen to how many there are. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Verse 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. That's an eternal covenant, okay? So God's covenant to Abraham is still God's covenant to his people today. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. Praise God. I'll read that one again. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Verse 8. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And how does he finish? He goes back to where he started and he said, I will be their God. I will be their God. It has nothing to do with what God's people are going to do. It has everything to do with what God is going to do. I will be their God. And so, in the midst of the season when you crash the car and you have an incomplete diamond ring and you have all these things that seem to be going against you, right? That seems minuscule compared to what the people of God are going through and maybe what some of you are going through. And yet, this declaration is still true I will be your God. I will be your God. Let me be your God. That's what God is doing with the people of Israel. So there's three things. There's three kind of promises where significant parts of this covenant, the, the most significant part of the covenant is God's declaration of his deity over their life, right? I will be your God. That's the primary covenant. Everything else really doesn't matter, okay? But he's, he also says, I'm going to promise you land, right? So there's a, there's a geographical promise and why is that important? Because there's going to come a time when God's people have no land. Right? This is what's going on in Egypt. And then there's the promise of multitudes. To the ends of the age, God's continuing to multiply Abraham's offspring. God is faithful. God makes promises. He remembers his promises. And he keeps his promises every single time. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will be your God. You will be my Now, I I mentioned the the stories with kids, with my kids in particular, and it is a real challenge to be a dad, I think, no matter when, right? But there's never been a time, probably more important, where dads need to step up and to be good dads, right? And and present dads. There's There's a pandemic of dads just fleeing and retreating and escaping and getting away because when you have the, hey, dad, I need this, dad, dad, I hate dad, dad, are we there yet? dad, 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 dad. And you can't hear everything that every child has to cry. And yet God does. He does do that. And so what is this idea of God's omniscience? It's God knowing everything. His knowledge is exhaustive. There's nothing that's going on in your life that he doesn't know about. Right? There's sometimes, there's things in our life, let's talk particularly about sin. Is that okay? Are we good? There's, there's, we're, it's summer, right? So there's, a little few, there's fewer of us, so we're going to talk real talk. Let's talk about sin, okay? Sometimes there's sin in our life that we're ashamed of. Sometimes there's sin in our life that we're not ashamed of. You know the one that I'm more scared of? The one that we're not ashamed of. The one that the world says, hey, that's an okay sin, you're good. But we do have sin, too, that we like to hide from people, we like to even try to hide from ourselves, and we justify it by saying, hey, the, the world says that it's okay. What God is saying is that I know everything. I mean, the Scriptures promises that He knows every single hair on your head. For some of you, that's easier for Him to know than others. Sorry. Right? The point is that He knows you Intimately. Psalm says he knew you when he was creating you in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you. And guess what? Because of Jesus, he knows everything about you without judgment. If you're in Christ, he looks at you and then he sees Jesus and he says, come here, you're mine. Do you understand? That's that's what the gospel is. That's what forgiveness looks like. He's looking at your thing and he's saying, you know what? I'm okay with that because Jesus, my son, has died for that. Right now, he's calling us to Christ's likeness and to leave that behind. And that day will come. There, right? We still have sin in our life. You can be following Jesus for 50 years and still be sinning daily. And in fact, I promise you that you will. Okay, there's your hope for today. But that's the truth on this side of the kingdom, you will continue to sin. Now, but God, the consequence of sin is gone and it ain't ever coming back. That's the power of of the gospel. And when you live into that kind of freedom, then all of these I will statements begin to make sense because now they're true in your life. Okay? So whatever that thing is that you think that I can't tell anybody about this because they might judge me. That's not what the people of God do. That's not what this people of God's going to do. I promise you that. I will be your God. His knowledge is exhaustive and it's intimate. I hope you find refuge there. I know I do. Uh, I got to spend, I had the privilege of going up to D.C. this week, and uh, I had a little time off, and so I just went for a little jog around the Capitol and did the whole thing, and uh, I was captivated by how little I pray for our leaders. That's a confession. But I was also convicted that if we're not calling each other to pray, and I'm not just talking about our government leaders, although we definitely should be praying for them, no matter which side of the aisle that they sit on, okay? Okay. But praying for our church leaders, our education leaders, leaders in our homes. Like, we need to be praying for people who God has elevated into roles of leadership. And if we're not doing that, shame on us. And as I, as I was kind of doing the thing, and, and it, what's, what's, what's the, the setup of the city, if you've never been? Like, so you go on one side, and it's Capitol Hill, and behind that's the Supreme Court, okay? So then there's all the, the Reflection Pond, right, and the Washington Monument in the middle. And then you have the Lincoln Memorial, On this side, and I'm kind of doing it this way, but I hope it will make sense. If you go across the bridge, do you know where you end up? Arlington Cemetery. You want to talk about keeping things in perspective? Go walk around there. Okay? We need to be praying for the people who are in leadership. God remembers his promise to his people. And I think for us to display that to the world means that we're committing to praying for the people who are in authority. Over us. So, God's covenant. What is God's covenant? He said it's, I will be your God. He promised land. He promised multitudes. Um, one, of the, one of my favorite little books that we have in our house is uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones' Jesus Storybook Bible. We have, I think we have some in the kids' area, or at least we used to. Um, she she kind of defines God's covenant this way, as God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's what God's promise is. It's not going to stop, no matter what. He's never going to give up. It's not going to break, no matter what happens. No matter what happens in the world, God's promise isn't going to shatter, and all of a sudden the kingdom falls apart. It's eternal and forever love. That is the covenant of God. So what does it look like to have a good and perfect loving father? Because as much as we, as human dads, want to be that, at the end of the day, we will continue to fall short. Now, we can try, and we can try, and we can work, and we can get better. We can put other people, other men in our lives. And this is true for you too, moms. Okay, so you're not exempt from this. I'm just using dads because we're now viewing God as the perfect father. But as we grow in likeness, listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 7. This is verses 7 through 11. Ask... And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Verse eight: "For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Now here's what it's not saying. "Oh God, I wish I had a better job. I wish I had more money. Would you give me all the things that I want?" That's a prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. What it means is, as you seek him, you will continue to find him. You will never knock on the presence of God and the door says, do not disturb, ever. Verse 9, or, this is why I wanted to talk about this passage, or, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you give me a serpent, I quit, okay? Just so you know that. Let's just lay it all on the line. You bring a snake in here, I'm out. I will not come back. Okay? Verse 11. If you then, who are evil, see, know how to give good gifts to your children, comma, how much more? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? How much more? You think the people of God were asking for things? Absolutely. Absolutely. They were asking for reprieve. They were asking for rest. They were asking for cold weather, clean water. Israel's biggest problem, it wasn't the external abrasions caused by Egypt. It was Egypt creeping into their heart. That was the problem for Israel. They were becoming Egyptians. They were becoming idolaters. They had forgotten God's promises. They had forgotten the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the one who got them into Egypt. They've forgotten. Because when the world keeps falling and colliding in on us, it's hard to see how a good God could allow that to happen. But He's still good. This is the story of Daniel, right? Maybe one of the most beautiful but God statements of the whole Bible. They're thrown into the fire but God. That is the story of you and I. So it doesn't matter what you have that nobody else knows about, God does know about it. And he has sent his son, his only son, whom he loved. Let's don't forget that part. It wasn't just some son he didn't really love. Not that that would really matter. But it was the son whom he loved he sent to die. Because he had his eyes on us. And Jesus was the only atoning sacrifice that could bring us back into right standing with God. Israel's biggest problem wasn't Egypt on the outside. It was Egypt on the inside. That's our problem. That's me and you. That's us. When we let the world creep inside and we forget the promises of God, we've forgotten the gospel. And the gospel is good and it is right. And that doesn't mean your life is always going to be perfect. But it does mean that God will always hear. He will always see. He will always remember. And he will always know. And he will always love you. That is Exodus chapter 2. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He knows you and he knows me. So as we close this morning, we're going to take communion like we do each week. As a way to remember this promise that God has said, I will be your God, and now He's about to prove it. Next week, we jump into Exodus chapter 3. We'll spend the whole week in chapter 3. So if you don't have a guide, go get a guide. This is a pivotal week, not just in the life of Moses, but in the life of Israel as Moses goes up the mountain and there, there he encounters God through the burning bush. And so that's next week. Dylan will be preaching. Uh, It's going to be a great Sunday. So uh, get a book, follow along in the guide, and press into Exodus 3. And now, let's go and take of the body and take of the blood of Christ and remember that he is the one who has come to rescue and redeem his people. Amen? Amen. God hears, God sees, he remembers, he knows, and he loves you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We just thank you for a beautiful time to, uh, to rest in your word, to rest in your promises. God, we're thankful that uh, one Pharaoh died and uh, that Christ came and defeated the last Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of death. So I pray that you will help us to remember now as we go to uh, the table of the Lord that uh, you have heard our cries. No matter what we're going through, you've heard it. You know it. It's not a surprise to you. You haven't forgotten your people even today. So God, I'm thankful for these three short verses that have so much weight. I'm thankful that you're omniscient, that you're all-knowing. I'm thankful that you left a covenant, a promise to your people to remember and to be told over and over and over again. And God, we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who came for us. He came as the better Moses. He came without uh, sin. He came perfectly to reach into a lost and broken world, to rescue your people. And so to that we say amen, amen, and amen. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have some leaders over uh, to the side if you want to pray. I would encourage you to do that. Don't, don't go home with, with stuff. Find someone. Go talk to them. There will be some of our elders, deacons uh, over by the coffee. And now go take uh, communion. We love you.